Well, there was a fisherman whose name was Charlie, and Charlie always, always had a good day when he went fishing. And he was friends with Jim. Jim was the game warden, and Jim never understood how Charlie managed to do so well fishing. And so one day, the game warden decided to go fishing with Charlie, and they got in the boat, and Charlie took Jim out to his favorite fishing spot. And once they got there, Charlie took out his tackle box, and he opened it up, and he took out a stick of dynamite. He lit the dynamite, and he threw it into the lake. There was an explosion. They both got wet, and then about a dozen fish floated to the surface of the lake, and Charlie just fished them out with his net. And Jim, the game warden, said, that's illegal. You can't do that. And Charlie said, oh, really? Took out another stick of dynamite and lit it and threw it into the lake. And again, about a dozen fish floated to the surface, and he uh, was scooping them out with his net. And Jim said, stop it right now. Take this boat back to the shore. I'm going to have to give you a citation. I'm going to have to confiscate all your gear. The, uh, the citation will probably cost you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And Charlie said, oh, really? And took another stick of dynamite, and he lit it, and he put it in Jim's lap. And he said, so are you going to talk all morning, or are you going to fish? <laughs> well, I want you to know, I kind of feel a little bit like that game warden right now. The curious comment we're dealing with today is one that has lots of opinions and uh, lots of people have different ideas about it and there's emotions attached to it and it can sometimes be pretty explosive. We've been in this series called Curious Comments for several weeks and people have submitted some of the things that they have read in the Bible that make them go, hmm, things that are curious, comments that they don't quite understand. And we've been doing our best to help you understand why the Bible has some of those verses in it. Here is the question that we're dealing with today. It said simply, cultural and a question mark, women should be silent in church. And another form just simply said, women in church. Now, this is a question that we have been asked by many, and it comes because of several scriptures found throughout the Bible. We won't have time today to look at all of them. We will be talking about a few more of them on Tuesday night at the growth group that I lead here at 7 o'clock. And many churches have dealt with the teaching of the Bible regarding women in various different ways. On one extreme, some churches have a very strict standard for women with their doctrine, not allowing women to cut their hair or to wear makeup. And those churches definitely don't think that any of these scriptures are cultural. And women in those churches usually don't lead ministries or pass communion and offering trays or teach mixed groups or lead the congregation in worship. And on the other extreme, there are churches that have decided that all the scripture in the Bible that talk about different functions for females and for males are completely cultural, that they're completely irrelevant to us today. And of course, there are many different variations in between those two extremes. So who's right and who's wrong? Well, one of the things I'm really glad to be able to tell you today is this is an area of opinion. 
This is an area of opinion, which means we can have different views and still get to heaven. We can have different views and get to heaven. What we believe about the proper interpretation of these verses about women and men is an area of opinion, not an essential. Essentials are those things that have to do with how we are saved. They have to do with how we get to heaven, and we have to get those right. Those are uh, the essentials are what the scripture teaches that has to do with our salvation, and this isn't one of them. This is an area of opinion where you and I might have different opinions, and we can both have strong opinions, and we can both think that our opinions are based on what the Bible says, and when we get to heaven, you will find out that you are wrong and I'm right. Or I might find out that I was wrong. Or it's very likely we'll all find out we were all wrong. But the point is, whether we have a right or wrong opinion, that opinion doesn't affect whether or not we get to heaven. Only the essentials of who Jesus is and his grace and forgiveness and how we respond to his forgiveness and how we continue in our faith will affect whether we get to heaven. But secondly, since this is an area of opinion, we shouldn't divide over our different views. We shouldn't divide over our different views. This isn't worth fighting over or dividing over or leaving a church over. We need to learn how to have unity even when we have different views in areas of opinion. With all that said, let me jump right in, and I want to point out some things that the Bible clearly teaches that I think relate to this curious comment. The first is this, Jesus came to break down barriers. Jesus came to break down barriers. One of the reasons that Jesus' ministry was so revolutionary is he didn't live within the boundaries of traditional faith. He did things that religious people didn't think that he should do. A big part of that was how he broke down barriers between different people and different groups of people. He spent time with outcasts. He spent time with sinners. He healed sick and disabled people. He talked to non-Jewish people. And he spoke to and he valued women, even the ones that others had declared too sinful to be rescued. Breaking down walls was why Jesus came. Look at this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And that dividing wall of hostility wasn't just a figurative barrier. It was something that anyone who had ever visited the temple would have understood. Here's a photo of the temple in Jesus' day. I'm going to use this old-fashioned laser uh, pointer. You can see that it's divided. Well, maybe I'm going to use it. Let's push the right button. There we go. I wonder, something just turned on or turned up somewhere else in the world because I pushed the wrong button. Anyway, 
there's an area here, and then an area here, and then an area here, and an area here. So there were several different areas that the temple was divided into. You see this wall right here? This wall separated what was known as the court of the Gentiles here on the outside from the court of Israel here on the inside. And this barrier right here is what I think this verse in uh, Ephesians was talking about. Scholars believe that this barrier was three, maybe as tall as four and a half feet, but probably closer to three, which means most of us would be able to see over it. Most of us would be able to climb over it. And so it wasn't a very big wall. It wasn't a very big barrier, but there were stone signs at every one of these openings along the wall. And the stone uh, was engraved in both Latin and in Hebrew with these words, no foreigner is to go beyond this barrier and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. So it wasn't a very tall barrier, but it was a pretty big barrier between people. If you were a foreigner and you crossed that barrier, you would have yourself to blame for your death. That made it a pretty big barrier. But it wasn't the only dividing wall in the temple. Because inside here, there was the court of women, and it was separated from the court of men. And then there was another place where only clergy could go. And these are the barriers. They are the dividing walls of hostility that Jesus came to do away with. Look at what we read in Galatians chapter 3. I'll start with verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile that dealt with racial and religious barriers. There is neither slave nor free that dealt with economic barriers. Nor is there male or female that dealt with gender barriers, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus came back to break down barriers. And that is why no Christ follower should have a problem condemning the hate that we saw expressed in Charlottesville. No one should have a problem condemning that. Violence isn't the way to deal with it, but racial hate without question, without qualification, is not ever a reflection of the heart of Jesus. Hate in general, whether it's expressed towards any person, whether it's hate towards a person of a different race or religion, or whether it's hate towards our current or our former president, or whether it's hate towards people who hate or whether it's hate towards people who commit sins that we hate, there is no way to justify hate of any kind and claim to be reflecting the heart of Jesus. There's no way. Jesus was always breaking down the walls that mankind had built because of their hate and insecurity. I love this cartoon that I found this week. You can see it has lots of people drawing lines but there's Jesus right in the middle erasing the lines that people are drawing. We keep trying to draw lines to fit God and fit things into our tight little box so that we can be comfortable 
But Jesus keeps erasing those lines and breaking down those barriers. But while we need to hear some of that because of the news this past couple of weeks, let's get back to how Jesus broke down barriers between men and women. You know, when it came to women, Jesus specifically and the first century church after him, the church he established, gave women more significance than they had ever had in their society. He gave them more significance than they had ever had in their time. I mean, do you realize that when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple when he was a baby, there were two people who preached about Jesus. One was an old man named Simeon who had waited for that opportunity. The other who preached about Jesus, so the second person that preached about Jesus was a woman named Anna, a prophetess. And when Jesus died and when he rose to life again, the first person who he saw was a woman named Mary. And you know what he told her? I want you to go proclaim, I want you to go preach to my disciples that I've risen from the dead. I, I've got to tell you, it's no accident. I think women were intentionally a huge part of Jesus' story from the cradle to the cross and after his resurrection and everywhere in between. That was countercultural. That was different than was true in most of uh, the world at that time. And this didn't stop when Jesus left earth. When he went back to heaven, women played a key role in the early church. They were teaching. Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. And they were leading. Paul thanks several women in Romans chapter 16 who he said were great ministers of the gospel. So if all of this is true, and I think it is, why does the Bible seem to put restrictions on women in the church? If all of this is true, why do we have so many verses where it seems like some restrictions are put in, on women? Why do we have so many verses that seem to say women ought to be quiet and have mostly submissive roles, at least in public services? Well, as I said, Jesus and his church gave women more value and more equality than they had ever had. But as often happens, that freedom created some problems. It created some difficulties that they had to deal with. And 1 Corinthians is a letter written to solve many, many different problems in the church in Corinth. If you read the letters to the Corinthian church, you will find it was just stacked full of all sorts of problems. And uh, so Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians to help them deal with some of those problems. And that brings us to the next thing I want to point out that the Bible clearly teaches about this curious comment and ones like it. And that's this, sometimes we should follow cultural barriers. Sometimes we should follow cultural barriers. As I said, 1 Corinthians written to solve several different problems in the church in Corinth. In fact, did you know that there are at least three groups of people who were creating problems in the church and were told by Paul to sit down and shut up. At least three groups of people. In chapter 5, people who were boasting about an immoral man who uh, was in the church and who was sleeping with his stepmother, they were told to be quiet. In chapter 14, people who were speaking in tongues and creating problems in the church were told to be quiet and to limit their behavior in the church. 
And in uh, chapter 14, again, women who were apparently standing up and shouting out questions and opinions in the middle of church services were told to be silent, to be quiet. All three of these groups were basically told to limit what they were saying in church. And here's what the apostle writes specifically about women. Start in chapter 14 with verse 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, was that cultural? Yes, I believe it was. I believe it was. In their culture, and really in all cultures at the time, men would have been absolutely appalled by women speaking up in front of other men. The men who visited the church as guests would, thought, would have thought that, number one, the husbands were failing to keep proper control over their wives, and, and number two, that the church leaders were failing to do their job by allowing this disruption to occur. Now, you might be thinking, but if Jesus came back to break down barriers, why would that be a problem? I mean, just explain that we're all now equal in Jesus and that as a church we let both males and females participate equally. Well, the reason it was still a problem is because we don't want to build a worse barrier by tearing one down. We don't want to build a worse barrier by tearing one down. And 1 Corinthians seems to say these three groups who he told to sit down and be quiet were keeping people who were not yet Christians from hearing the message. Or they were at least distracting them from hearing the message that they could have salvation through Jesus. And so if women speaking in church in their culture kept people from becoming Christ followers, it would have built a far worse barrier. It would be a barrier that would keep people out of heaven. And so the apostle says women at that time need to uh, submit to that restriction for the sake of helping people find salvation and find forgiveness through Jesus. Because getting people to heaven was a bigger priority than everyone exp expressing their freedom in Christ. And Paul has already said this in chapter 9 before he begins helping them deal with their church problems. He has expressed this important priority. Start with verse 22 of chapter 9. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So how do these verses apply to us today? Well, like the people in Corinth, we will sometimes need to pay attention to cultural barriers so that we can make sure people hear clearly that Jesus gives them hope and forgiveness and heaven. In other words, we need to pay attention to how people who are far from God see us. Their culture matters in what we do and how we do it. Now, we don't compromise the gospel. We don't compromise those essentials that we talked about, but it uh, means that we also need to pay attention to these cultural barriers. I mean, we live in a world where for many, many years, the church was so focused on women that women became the largest group attending the church. 
many churches became very feminine in nature. And as the church catered to women, many, many men became more and more uncomfortable in church. And so at Impact, we try to pay attention to that. We want men to see strong men serving up front in positions here. We want to make this a place that's geared towards what makes men comfortable while continuing to make our ladies feel comfortable too. You know what that means? That means we pay attention to the words of the songs that we sing. We don't sing a lot of gushy and mushy songs because while women are really happy about running into Jesus's arms, that may not be something men picture themselves doing. And so we're careful about some of the words that we sing. It means we don't have a lot of pink around here or a lot of flowery things around here. That's part of paying attention to our culture. But as a culture, we have also devalued women in the past. We have also not done a good job of valuing women. And so it means we have to make sure that we can express the value of women. Women here teach in groups and in revolution. And sometimes they speak from this platform, though not in a full message yet. Women here are primary leaders of important ministries. We don't regulate them to just the important ministry of women's ministry or just the important ministry of children's ministry, but they are a part uh, and primary leaders of other important ministries. Women here serve in nearly all ministries. Now, some churches see more cultural barriers that continue today than what I see. I know one church that I served many years ago in California didn't let women serve in some of the areas that we have women serving here at impact i remember one of the elders giving this as his reason he said if you let women do all of those things men will sit back and let them men won't get involved in serving if you let the women serve now i was 26 maybe 27 years old at the time he said that and my response to him may have been the boldness of a 26 or 27 year old but what i said to him is bill I don't have as low of an opinion of men as you do. Do you understand what a low, insulting opinion of men that expresses? He believed that men were so insecure that if a talented woman was serving, that men would step back. I hope that's not true. I don't believe that's true. But it's important that we see that even today, sometimes we should follow cultural barriers for the sake of helping people hear the message of Jesus. We can't and we don't compromise the message, but we can change the methods whenever we need to do that so that, as the passage says, by all possible means, we will save some. So that by all possible means, we will save some. But I'm not sure that I've completely answered the question yet, have I? So let's look at one more area. Having different functions is not discriminatory. Having different functions is not discriminatory. 
in the midst of, of attempting to solve the many problems in the church in Corinth, Paul is talking about all of these problems, and he really starts at chapter 9, and he goes pretty much through chapter 14, and it's really, really interesting that right in the middle of that is chapter 13, what we call the love chapter. I won't say more about that, but that's really an interesting thing. But in chapter 12, he talks about the fact that all of us have specific spiritual gifts, that God has given each of us talents that he expects us to use. And if you read chapter 12 later, you will see that he spends quite some time on describing the church as a body. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. He says, that's how it is with the church. We have different functions within the church, but every one of us is absolutely necessary and needed. Look at uh, verse 7 and verse 27 from chapter 12. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us, underline that, so that we can help each other. Now, all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Underline that last phrase. You're a separate and necessary part. So even those of you that don't think that you've been given talents to serve Jesus with, this passage is really clear. Each one of us has been given a spiritual gift, a talent that is supposed to be used to help other people. And all of us are a separate and necessary part of the church. All of us have things that we should be doing for Jesus and that we should be doing for others. That is very true that the passage says that. But something else is true. That means there are certain things that we don't get to do. That we all have things that we don't get to do. Now, I love to sing. I absolutely love to sing. But my voice is such that I don't think I would pass an audition for the worship team. I just don't think I'd get through that audition. So what do you think? Does that mean I'm being discriminated against by not being able to sing on the worship team? I don't think so. I don't think so. And not everyone here gets to preach. And that's not discrimination. That's just acknowledging that that's not everyone's uh, gift and talent. And that we have to focus on a few who will teach us from this stage. It isn't discrimination that not everyone gets to fulfill every function around here. That's just how God designed the body to work. He just designed the body to work that way. Just as my hand has a different function than my nose, we have different functions in the church. So with that as a background, let me tell you that we think that there is one function in the church that is restricted to men. One function, we believe, Scripture teaches, that the function of an elder in the church is a role that God has given to men. And because we believe that the lead pastor is an elder, according to the Bible, we also think the function of lead pastor is restricted to men. And we base that on a combination of Scriptures, but this is the primary one. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam uh, was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, let me just say, that ought to bring up another curious comment. Yes, Adam was deceived. He just was deceived by both Satan and his wife, but, um, but he was deceived. Now, 
this ought to be a curious scripture for a number of reasons. You see, it seems to say women are not permitted to teach men. And yet, as I've alluded to, we know that women did teach men in the time of Jesus. I'm sure there were men there when Anna gave her prophecy about Jesus. And Mary was told directly to go tell the male disciples of Jesus about his resurrection, to preach that message to them. And in fact, Paul, who wrote these words, lived for a time with a man named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And the scripture indicates that it was Priscilla and Aquila who taught a man about Jesus. And in their culture, it was very significant when they said Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. When they put her name first, that would have been very significant. But we know of others too. So women were teaching men, even though Paul said, I do not allow a woman to teach a man. We also know that women had positions of authority over men in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So what does Paul mean when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man? Our leadership believes he means, I do not allow a woman to fulfill the function of primary teacher or the function of primary authority in the church. And in both cases, God has given that function to the elders. Now, why does, not, why does God not allow women in that role? Here's my theological deep answer. I don't know. I really don't. Paul relates it to the order of creation. Adam was created first and then Eve, and then he relates it to the fact that Eve sinned first. And some see this as a part of the curse women received for that sin in the garden where Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 16 indicates that Eve, uh, to Eve that her husband will rule over her. And so some see it as part of the curse. And I don't know that I completely understand it, but it does seem to be the consistent teaching of the Bible that the function of elder and therefore pastor-teacher is reserved for men. And please know, that function isn't open to all men. That function of elder and lead pastor is restricted to only men who God has given certain spiritual gifts and who have grown to a certain level of spiritual maturity. And again, this isn't discrimination. It isn't discrimination any more than it's discrimination that I don't get to sing on the worship team or that people who hate kids are specifically not allowed to work with them in Steel City Kids. This is based on the gifts and functions that God has given to different people so that, that his body, the church, functions well. So here's the bottom line. What are women allowed to do in our church? Basically this, anything that the male eldership determines is appropriate based on our culture and people coming to know Jesus. Our elders get to determine what our people are ready for and what will help or hinder people from hearing the message of faith. This is a huge responsibility and one that we are held accountable to God for. So please pray for us as we seek to discern wisely what God wants us to do in this area and in all areas. Now, does every leadership of every church agree with us on this? No, not at all. As I said, there are some who see everything that the Bible says about women as cultural, and sometimes I wish that I could join them in that, 
but I can't be intellectually honest and true to the scripture and do that. There are some who see this as much more narrow than we see it. I mean, they would believe that we have taken steps too far by letting women teach men in growth groups and in revolution and in testimonies and interviews during worship. Some would think having women lead worship our music time, which we do from time to time, or to let them pass communion and offering would be a step too far. But I want to end where I began. This area is an area of opinion. It's an area of opinion. We can believe different things and get to heaven, and when we get there, we will find out who's right and who's wrong or that we've all been wrong. But as I said before, the main thing is this. Areas of opinion should never become a source of division. Areas of opinion should never become a source of division. Now, you might disagree with me on some parts of what I've said here, but if you do, make sure that your opinion is based on what Scripture teaches and not just on what you want to think or what you want to believe. If we claim to follow Jesus, we need to let his word guide us in every way, and it impacts how we live our life. It means that I join Jesus in working to tear down the barriers that people are building, the barriers of hate that people are building that separate people. It means that I limit my rights so that others can hear the message of Jesus without distraction. It means that I work hard to fulfill the function that Jesus gave to me as a part of his body because all of us, all of us, you and I, are separate and necessary parts of the body of Christ, working together to impact and influence people for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that helps us and guides us. And Father, even when we don't completely understand, thank you that we can trust in you and your wisdom. Father, I thank you for the leaders that you have placed within uh, impact. I thank you, Father, for the godliness and the wisdom that they give as they shepherd and guide us. And Father, I pray that you will help us as leaders to follow you fully and to lead each of the people that you've entrusted to us towards Jesus. And Father, would you help each one of us to be active in tearing down the walls of hate, to join Jesus in breaking down barriers between people. And Father, we pray that as we do that, people will be drawn to Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.